Welcome to UO Today. I'm Paul Pepys, director of the Oregon Humanities Center. Today I'm in the focus gallery at the Jordan Schnitzer Museum of Art with Cheryl Hartup and Daniel Knapp. Cheryl Hartup is the curator of academic programs and Latin America and Caribbean art at the Jordan Schnitzer Museum of Art. Daniel Knapp is the Makash curator at the Jordan Schnitzer Museum of Art. Together, Hartop and Knapp curated the museum's common seeing exhibition, Resistance as Power, a curatorial response to Under the Feet of Jesus, which is on view through February 23, 2020. Under the Feet of Jesus, a novel by Helena Maria Veramontes, is the 2019-2020 common reading selection for University of Oregon first year students. Thank you both for coming on the show. Thank you. So this is the museum's fourth common seeing exhibit. Why does the museum organize them? Well, this is an opportunity to do something that is really central to our mission, to support the academic mission of the U of O, and an opportunity to engage the different areas that we work in across our curatorial areas, and really question some of the works in our collection and look for loans that will enhance conversations that are being held campus-wide. So in response to the common reading assigned book. Um, Cheryl and I, for the last three years, and the first year um, when Jill Hartz, our retired director, and a student intern, Amelia Anderson, um, created the first um, sort of iteration of this program. Um, this is a chance for us to engage with what's happening around campus on a level where we can be directly working with students and faculty to bring some of these themes to light with visual art. So let's talk about this particular book, uh, Viramontes, Under the Feet of Jesus. So what are, what are some of the themes of that book that you were trying to engage with this show? Well, we're very fortunate to work closely with uh, members of the university community who are identifying themes early on during the book selection process. Um, Julie Volker-Morris has been a partner for us through all of the years of this program. Um, and so for this book specifically in working with um, all of the faculty and students who were identifying a book that would speak to themes of environmental justice, family relationships, uh, migrant worker issues, um, the list sort of goes on once you open up this novel. Um, there are so many ways that uh, it's touching on important topics that resonate across campus. So um, you, those are the themes. So the first place you go is the museum's collection. So tell us what, which of the works here are from the museum's collection, the permanent collection? Well, um, we have recent acquisitions, um, The Fallen by V. Maldonado, also Sun Mad by Esther Hernandez is a recent acquisition to the collection, and Lilium Nieves' Beauty Queen Number no. 4, Taladro. And we also included two prints by Betty LaDuc, um, we have a number of her works in our collection. And some of the criteria we were thinking about in terms of the selection, because we have so many works in our collection that relate to these themes, um, we wanted to include a number of women artists um, because of the protagonist in the book, Estrella and, and Petra, her mother, are such strong figures. So um, we have three women artists in the show. And we also wanted um, works to um, address uh, the various themes. And what was interesting, once we started digging into the biographies of a number of the artists, is that they um, grew up either in a migrant worker family in the San Joaquin um, Valley or in the Midwest. 
um, or were migrant workers themselves and later became um, artists. So let's talk about some of the specific pieces. So let's start with Betty LaDuke. So she's, for her, much of her career, she's addressed social justice in her heart. So these two prints that are from the collection that you've chosen, what's she responding to in these prints? How, how do they engage with the themes that you're talking about? Oh, do you want to answer? <laughs> well, right. Betty, as an Oregon artist, she's been in Ashland since the 1960s, came to teach at um, what is now Southern Oregon University, and been really instrumental in sort of changing the way that um, the community and students there talk about the arts, the role of women in the arts, and preserving cultural heritage from around the world. So um, she's an artist who spent time in Mexico in the 1950s, and that really made an impression on her and kind of set her life and her career on a course of wanting to engage with communities and help communities share their stories. And so with the works in our collection um, that speak to her experiences in the 80s, traveling throughout Latin America and Mexico, uh, we were really drawn to the images of strong female figures in those works, kind of building on what Cheryl mentioned about the story itself and wanting to um, show how one artist has sort of captured that visually. And then um, Betty being the only artist in the show who is not of Latinx heritage, um, does, did not grow up speaking Spanish, but is the child of immigrants and grew up in the Bronx to parents who were from um, Europe. And so she also, she has a sensitivity to that experience of being someone who um, has a multicultural background, living in a world where you might be speaking different languages and how she's taken that sensitivity and compassion to her world travels and shared those stories um, of what she's learned in her own work is really compelling. So we're, we're sitting in front of V. Maldonado's uh, painting, The Fallen. So tell us a little bit about that painting. This is a work that we were really fortunate to purchase with a major grant from the Ford Family Foundation and the Oregon Arts Commission a couple of years ago. It's our first opportunity to have it on view. Uh, v. Maldonado's been an artist of interest to both Cheryl and me for, uh, for several years for our collection. And this work is from one of their uh, most recent bodies of work as they're expanding into large painting. So Maldonado, who's also um, an assistant dean of diversity and inclusions at Pacific Northwest College of Art in Portland, does a lot of work about uh, identity, their own life growing up sort of in two worlds, living in Mexico and uh, living in California as a child and traveling to Mexico frequently to visit with family. And in a lot of their performance work has taken on this alter ego of Mad Mex, like a Mexican wrestling figure. Mm -hmm. So in looking at The Fallen, um, although it's initially when you look at it, you're kind of uh, overwhelmed by all the bright colors and the energy of the painting, um, sort of faces and masks start to appear and the title, um, you begin to sort of put together an understanding of what you're looking at. There seems to be a fallen wrestler figure. And I think Mad Mex and that imagery has been a way for them to think about um, sort of the, the way that you're at contrast in your own life, masculinity and femininity. Um, in wrestling, it's really simple, good versus evil, the victor versus the loser. Um, but that really translates to so much that we're doing in our own life, the haves versus the have-nots, all of these different categories that you uh, might feel you're placed in, the minority, the majority. And in doing large paintings, he has said, you know, that's, that's sort of a political act too, is as a minority, if you're working in spaces that weren't made for you, weren't made for people that look like you or speak like you, um, one of the things that you need to do is take up space. So in a museum gallery setting, a large painting will physically take up space, but it's a very purposeful decision on their part. Hmm, fascinating. So um, behind me over here is um, Esther Hernandez's um, Sun Mad, uh, which is a, a 
response to the very iconic Sunmade Raisins uh, label. So tell us a little bit about the differences between Hernandez Revision and the original. We are so excited to have this work come into the collection because um, there's a passage in the book that talks about this exact image that's on the box of raisins. So sun-made raisins on the box, um, it's very uh, wholesome, young, uh, white woman who looks like she's never worked a day in the grape fields. Um, and it's this bountiful um, gesture of offering the harvest. And in Sun Mad, um, Esther Hernandez takes that image of um, youth and um, health and turns it into death. Um, and if someone doesn't read English or read, um, they can still get the message from this print. And that was something very important, both um, the Mexican printmaking tradition, which this is also commenting on, as well as the Chicano print movement um, in the United States in the 60s and 70s. Um, so when you read the fine print um, down below, underneath Sun Mad Raisins, um, it says unnaturally grown with, and then lists all of the poisons the pesticides um, that are used in the fields. And Esther Hernandez grew up um, in a town where all the grapes went to Sunmade, the corporation, and she made this print out of anger and fear um, of these um, poisons leaching into the water. And what's interesting on the box of raisins, um, we were looking at one the other day, it says, um, just grapes and sunshine. Mm. So that's the advertising, but we know that it's so much more, and that's what Vera Montes's book also does, is all the labor that goes into picking um, the grapes and also um, the pesticides that are used on them. So 31 years after Hernandez creates SunMad, she designs SunRaid, which is yet another version, another revision. Tell us about that image. Well, that image, um, it's still the skeleton, so it's still the calavera, um, and she's wearing a weepeel, or an indigenous blouse beautifully embroidered, so talking about many um, indigenous people from Central America and Mexico coming um, to the United States, escaping um, violence, oppression, hunger um, and looking to um, have better opportunities here. And um, also, if you look closely, she's um, wearing a bracelet and um, it says ice on it. So it's like a tracking um, device. And it mentions the different indigenous groups at the bottom um, to, who are coming. Um, to raise awareness and um, to talk about um, social justice issues. So um, a number of the other pieces are on loan. So tell us about where some of these other pieces are from and then we'll talk about them specifically. There's a number of really interesting partnerships for those loans. 
Uh, well, two of the works are loans from the Smithsonian American Art Museum collection, and this came to us as a great opportunity. Um, our museum was selected as one of a five Western Museum partnership to work with the Smithsonian and the Terra Foundation for American Art and Arts Bridges um, in the, over the next five years on a collection sharing initiative. So phase one of that project allowed us to go to their curators and say, these are works that we would like to borrow to include in this exhibition. Um, in this case, we asked for Domingo Ulloa's um, Braceros and Emmanuel Martinez Farmworkers Altar. And um, amazingly, they were able to come to us for the duration of this show. And through that project, uh, we're getting to take advantage of access to the Smithsonian collection, but they're also getting to see their works shown in a context with works that are important to us or in our collection. And so there's a great conversation happening among the works there. And then um, a special loan from an artist um, who was perhaps the best Chicanx um, sculptor in the Pacific Northwest, Ruben Trejo. And uh, that was on loan from his family. He passed away uh, several years ago, and we don't have his work in the collection. And um, so we really, it was important to us to include his story in this exhibition through a special loan. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about uh, Braceros first. So first of all, tell us what the Braceros program was, and then let's talk a little bit about um, the significance of the painting. Uh, well, the Braceros program was a U.S. government um, work program for immigrant worker, migrant workers. Um, after World War II, there was a shortage of American men to work in um, agriculture and on the railroad. And so the government um, was giving work permits um, to primarily Mexican laborers who were known as Braceros um, because of uh, reference to arms, so manual laborers. Um, the program itself was, was known as the Braceros program. And so workers would leave their families, come to the U.S. Um, there were camps throughout the country, especially California, Texas, in the Midwest, and um, work for a period of time. In, in the first couple of years of the program, conditions were somewhat better for the workers, especially during that initial worker shortage. Um, as years went on, as sort of attitudes and politics changed towards um, Mexicans in the United States, uh, certainly the conditions got worse and worse in terms of um, racism that they encountered, bigotry they encountered, um, but also the problems of overcrowded living conditions for the workers in the worker camps. Um, they didn't have access to you know, healthy foods, clean water all the time, often waiting for paychecks. And so um, the situation was often sort of a desperate situation for workers who were um, contributing to keeping America running, keeping the labor cycle running in the U.S. during that time. And um, the artist who painted this work had visited Holtzville, California in 1960, saw workers at a labor camp there. Um, Iwawa was himself a veteran of World War II, and so in making this work, visually thinking about the plight of the men depicted here, who he'd met, but also um, that imagery we associate barbed wire with, and thinking of concentration camps and internment of Japanese Americans. And when artists, um, when students come to look at this artist's work in the gallery, they're often immediately making connections to images they've seen in present day in the news and what they know is going on with border issues. And um, this is the work that when Helena Maria Veramontes came in the gallery and she stood before it, it really, she really excuse me, responded heavily to it because she said, this is exactly what I'm trying to do in my writing is make these stories of people um, like me, make their stories visible. And she felt that the artist had achieved that in this work. Yeah, so let's take a moment because you mentioned that Viramontes came and saw the show. She was a visitor to the university and she gave a talk and met with students and she also took a tour of the show. Did she say anything else about any of the other particular? She must have been <laughs> resonated with the sun mad since she 
it's amazing that her book almost anticipates that image. Did she, any other interesting parts of that visit for, well, for you guys? Well, the thing we should point out about Sun Mad too is that print was made before the book was written. Uh, so not only was she familiar with the box of raisins and that wholesome imagery, but also uh, Esther Hernandez's work and, and the power of uh, sort of that visual protest against um, you know, Sun Maid's campaign of wholesomeness um, was known to the author. And um, she really responded to Lilia Nieve's work. Um, yeah, she loved the show. It was so great to, um, you know, with the Common uh, Seeing program here, um, we love to have the work, you know, resonate um, with the book and spark more dialogue, more conversation, and to have the author um, be inspired by the works of art and um, say that their writing will be inspired by that was just a huge compliment. Yeah, I guess terms of thinking yeah. about it yeah, because it was very touching and it really speaks to the heart of what we're trying to do is all the students who come in the show we want them to have that personal connection as well and for visitors who maybe if they're not a first-year student and they haven't had that book placed in their hands maybe they're experiencing the show and have never read will never read the book um, so the artwork has to show those themes strongly enough that they can stand on their own outside of Viramonte's beautiful writing. But I should say, anyone who comes to see the show, they will see yes. the book yes. in the room, yes. so they will <laughs> be tempted or prompted to read it. Yes. Um, so tell us a little bit more, let's say, let's talk about Emmanuel Martinez's Farm Workers Altar. What's important about that work? It's a really interesting. Yes, so that work was created uh, in the months leading up to Cesar Chavez breaking his 25-day water-only fast um, in California. It took place in March. Uh, 1968. The artist who made that work um, was a really young emerging artist. I think he was 19 when he was working on that. Mm. And it's a piece that is doing a lot to speak to um, through all the issues that Martinez was observing happening um, in his world, the labor rights movement and um, the plight of workers, especially working in the grape fields, um, but also thinking about um, this sort of cultural mixed heritage and the experience of um, people who looked like him, who looked like a lot of the farm workers, and the imagery um, includes both indigenous imagery that speaks to Mexico's history, as well as Christian imagery and iconography. Um, and so in all the sides of that altar, we can talk about with students and visitors, you know, what is the artist trying to say in these images and how might that be getting a political message across in 1968? Because he was such a strong supporter of what Chavez and um, Dolores Huerta were fighting for in their labor rights movement. Mm -hmm. So you've just, uh, in passing, you mentioned uh, the piece by Lilium Nieves. Um, what's interesting about, well, there are many things that are interesting, but one of the things that's interesting about this piece is that she created it while she was visiting here. So why don't you tell us about that? Well, um, the former director, Jill Hartz, and I, we took a trip to um, San Juan, Puerto Rico, and visited Lilium's studio. I had known her since about 2005, um, and I fell in love with a piece I wanted to um, acquire for our collection, but then when we started looking at how much it would cost to bring a very large um, piece of hardwood, uh, from Puerto Rico to Eugene, Oregon, um, Lillian had the brilliant idea. She said, well, why don't I just come and make a piece on campus and it'll probably be less, and it was. <laughs> um, so she came in July and the art department was very generous and gave her a studio for a week. And um, 
we were thinking about um, her creating a work in response to the book. So we told her about the book and um, she read part of it and uh, gave us a few ideas for this commission and we chose the one where she's holding the drill, the taladro, um, because tools are so important in um, the novel in terms of agency and here definitely in this work as well. Um, so she worked and met with um, Spanish language classes and spoke to them entirely in Spanish. Um, and they got to see her process and hear her talk about her work. And um, what's been really great is that some of these students now are coming through with another class to see the exhibit. And they can't believe that what they saw in the summer in process is actually in an art museum, you know, leaning against the wall. Um, but she picked out this wonderful um, cherry panel um, and then uh, drilled lines into it and inked it. And it's a self-portrait of her um, as a beauty queen. So she's commenting on beauty pageants in, in Puerto Rico and also just, um, you know, idealized feminine beauty, um, stereotypes of beauty queens and um, the drill which she uses and she's standing on top of the world and one foot is firmly planted in Europe. Um, so referencing the colonial past of Puerto Rico and the other combat boot is kind of inclined in the ocean, maybe touching an island. So also talking about this precariousness of coming and going and dispersal of um, separations of, of families and how things, you know, are so um, tenuous because of either the weather, um, you know, things that we see in the book too. Um, so we are so happy to acquire this work by her. So the last piece that we haven't spoken about is Ruben Trejo's Roots sculpture. So tell us about that sculpture. Well, um, I recently had a wonderful conversation with one of his daughters, um, Tanya Trejo, about this piece. It's from the early 80s, and it's called Roots. So Roots is something both, you know, the roots of what people are um, collecting out of the earth in the book, but also personal roots and these connections with um, Mexico or other countries, um, the roots of your family. Um, so it raises a lot of questions um, about that. And I think it's kind of the height of the artist. I almost see it as another self-portrait, mm -hmm. opposite the self-portrait of Lilium Nieves. Mm -hmm. um, and these roots are kind of closed off in this um, glass box. And so you're looking on to something that um, maybe is gonna be preserved, maybe it's in the process of dying and drying out. They're definitely separated from the earth. Um, but you notice his love of working with wood and also referencing various elements of fire and wind, the lack of water um, and you know the earth in the piece. But he, um, was a migrant worker and traveled a lot with his family. His father worked on the railroads. So um, roots for him come from many different places. Again, like Lilium's piece, um, Europe, 
the New World, um, Mexico, the U.S., um, and also the past, the indigenous past, as well as how um, indigenous culture is still, you know, alive today. So all of that um, um, are his roots. Mm -hmm. yeah. Fascinating. So tell us about some of the programming that the JSMA has organized in conjunction with the exhibit. We're really fortunate to have received funding from Art Bridges to support doing some programs that would allow us to work closely with um, community partners and faculty partners that represent um, several community and university groups. We've worked closely with um, the faculty who are involved in the first um, Latinx Scholars Academic Residential Community here at the U of O, um, and as well as um, Eugene Arte Latino and other groups. Um, we brought a Mexican photographer, Fernando Soto, uh, here in October, right before our Day of the Dead celebrations, to talk about um, traditions of altars in um, his region of Mexico. And uh, in winter term, we'll have a cultural worker from California, a Chicanx woman named Gilda Posada, who's coming to do a special printmaking program with the students in the Latinx Scholars Arc. And so we're really excited that our programming is going to allow us to kind of stretch what we can do um, and not just respond directly to the works are on view that are on view here, but really engage with some communities about the larger themes and the artists that these works represent and have some meaningful um, relationships build out of that, especially for students where we want them to feel like the museum can be a cultural and social home for them. So providing opportunities like working with Gilda Posada will hopefully do that for um, this group of students this year. So let's talk a little bit more about how the students so far have engaged with the exhibit. Do you have any stories to share? Well, so far we've had um, over 1,300 students see the show since it went on view, so fall term. And um, that's about 40 classes that have come through, um, classes spanning um, anthropology, environmental studies, women, gender, and sexuality studies, um, Spanish language classes. And every time we tour the show, it's just so wonderful to hear um, student impressions of the work. And you, you see something new and you take you know, a new interpretation away that then we can share with another group. So mm -hmm. it just kind of keeps building on one another. And for classes that are large, um, because we can only fit about 20, 25 comfortably in this space, we also bring them to our Gilkey Research Center and we pull out about 20 more objects um, from our permanent collection, um, some prints, photographs, um, sometimes some sculpture, and um, just these are works um, that also reinforce the themes of the book. So mm -hmm. it's, it's been great, and it'll be on view um, through almost the end of February. So um, last year, we had our all-time high um, of uh, over 1,600. So um, we'll see what this yep. year brings <laughs> us. So. Good luck. So um, this will be my last question. We just have a couple of seconds left. Um, the Common Reading Program will be focusing on the theme of climate change, justice, and resilience for the next two academic years. They haven't chosen the books yet, or they haven't announced the books yet, but um, are you already beginning to look for works for those common seeing? Absolutely, and I think that issues related to climate change and environmental change is present in a lot of artists' minds right now. So there are artists who we've already been engaging with and collecting with just because of the nature of their work. 
and uh, it will be a sort of a natural way to dovetail with some artists that we've already been interested in curatorially to hopefully feature their work um, next fall when the book is when the next book comes out. Well, we look forward to that. Thank you both so much for taking the time to speak with us today about this Common Seeing um, show. Uh, and uh, I will urge everyone to come see it for themselves. Thanks so much. I've been speaking with uh, curators Cheryl Hartop and Danielle Knapp. The Jordan Schnitzer Museum of Art's Common Seeing exhibition, Resistance as Power, a Curatorial Response to Under the Feet of Jesus, is on view uh, through February 23rd, 2020. Thanks so much for watching. Thank you.